miss seeing you. And that is certainly amplified for me this morning as I stand here in this very familiar room uh, with only a handful of people here. Uh, that being said, there are joys in this season. Uh, as we do hear from one another, uh, I hear from one of you regularly a couple of times a day with a joke. I'll let you guess at which farmer that might be. Uh, also hear from some of you just with a simple word of encouragement, even this morning. Uh, hearing from one dear brother who, who left me with just these words, God remains, and I am thankful for that. I've had a chance to talk with a few of you on the phone, and I, I'm strengthened just to hear your voice. So let me take just this moment to remind you, Gray Road, that God did not intend for us to do this life alone, and this season and this set of circumstances does not change that. So pick up your phone and, and text and pick up your phone and call and use Facebook and the, the tools that we have available to us because it is good and it is right and it is our calling to be with one another even in these days. As we approach this text this morning in 1 Samuel chapter 12, I'm reminded that we are in strange days. If this was any other election year, the headlines and the news stories and perhaps even our conversations to some level would be dominated by the election. In November, we will elect a president. And it is in these seasons that there is a parade of candidates who will come forward and they will offer their plans to save us all. To save us all from the health care crisis and from the budget crisis and from conflicts all over the world. And I am thankful for those who step forward into public service and into public life. But as the years go by, we become more and more acquainted with the fact that there is no human who can save us. But there is one. And typically in election year, I will have the chance to have a conversation with some brother and sister in the Lord, and we will say, you know what, I'm thankful for those that are seeking public office, but it just makes me long for the day when the king will come. When the king of king comes and he dries every tear, when the king of king, kings come, comes and he makes right everything that is wrong, when sin is dealt with and death is dealt with and sickness is dealt with and everything that is wrong will be made right, when the King of Kings comes. That being true, and from what we know of Scripture, that that title is an important one, and it is one that was prophesied, that there would be a king who would come and sit on David's throne. It can seem strange working through this section of 1 Samuel to see that when Israel calls for a king for the establishment of the kingship, that it is sin, and that it is profound sin. And we'll explore together this morning why that was the case. 1 Samuel chapter 12 in your Bible is likely titled something like this, Samuel's Farewell Address. I struggled with that a little bit because Samuel is far from done. Samuel has an ongoing role in the, in the nation of Israel. And he has an ongoing role, an important role, just in a couple of chapters. He will anoint David as king. 
But this is an important message to the people from Samuel, and it comes at an important point in their history as a people. Scholars would tell us you could divide the, the history of the nation of Israel really into five segments. There, there is the, the Mosaic period. There is the period under Joshua of conquest. There is the period of the judges that we are seeing go to sunset here. This is the end of that stage. There is the period of the United Kingdom and the period of the divided kingdom. And there is no quiz to follow that you must know those five uh, segments of their history. But I do want you to know this, that as we approach 1 Samuel chapter 12, it is the sunset of the age of the judges, and it is the dawning of the United Kingdom. This is an important point in their history. I would draw your attention as we begin to 1 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 20. If there's a key verse in this text, I think this is it. 1 Samuel 12, 20. And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all of your heart. I want to submit to you this morning that that word yet in that verse is an important point in this passage. Samuel says to the people, do not be afraid. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all of your heart. Let's pray as we begin. Father, I thank you this morning for your word, which is timeless, which is a blessing to your people, regardless of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Father, I pray that as we walk through this chapter together this morning, that you would keep us from error, that you would guide us into all truth, that by these words from 1 Samuel 12, we might come to know you more and more you, know you in a more profound way, and that we might be made more like your son. And I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. There's a lot of information here in 1 Samuel chapter 12, and we will explore this together today under five headings to give those to you briefly. We'll talk first about Samuel's faithfulness, and then the Lord's faithfulness, and then the unfaithfulness of the people. We'll touch just briefly on Samuel's ongoing role in the nation of Israel, and then we'll see a word of hope and warning. Let's read 1 Samuel 12, verses 1 through 5, and look here at Samuel's faithfulness. And Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I have obeyed your voice in all that you have said to me, and have made a king over you. And now, behold, the king walks before you, and I am old and gray. And behold, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my youth until this day. Here I am, testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Testify against me, and I will restore it to you. And they said, You have not defrauded us or oppressed us, or taken anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and is anointed as witness this day, that you have not found anything in my hand. 
And they said, He is witness. In the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 3, the Apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, would list there the qualifications for an elder. And in that passage, there is a qualification. It is the first in the list. It is the overarching. It is the one key qualification. All of the others in the passage are commentary on this one qualification. And it is this, that a man be found blameless. And it is an overwhelming qualification. From what we know of our theology as followers of Jesus Christ, you might think, how can that even be listed there? We all know that we do not stand blameless before God. Paul himself would write, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it is only because of the grace and mercy and sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ that one day when I stand before God, I will be be declared righteous, not because of any blamelessness in me, but because of the righteousness of Christ that has been given to me and because of the fact that my sins have been forgiven because of Christ's sacrifice. So all of that being true, what can it mean that a man be found blameless? What is in view here is not the vertical relationship, not our relationship to God, not our standing before him, but the horizontal relationships in the man's life. That if you visited the man in his home, or in his neighborhood, or in his workplace, or within his congregation, that there would be no accusation that could be made against him that would stick. No accusation that could be brought against him that would hold. And I was reminded of that passage in 1 Timothy 3 as I read these first few verses of 1 Samuel 12 and listened to Samuel Say to the people, I have lived before you my entire life. What accusation can you make against me? We see here a beautiful portrait of Samuel's faithfulness, of his blamelessness before the people. I would offer to you just quickly that his faithfulness here is in contrast to the, the, the unfaithfulness of his sons. And Toby walked us through that in chapter 8. His sons who would have been Uh, The obvious next choices to lead in Israel, they were not blameless. And they were guilty of accepting bribes. And they had been condemned before the people. Samuel's faithfulness here is in contrast to a coming king who would rule over them, a human king who would rule over them. In that earlier chapter, Samuel told them, a king will come and he will take your money and he will take your possessions and he will take your sons and he will take your daughters and he will take and he will take and he will take and he will take. And Samuel says to the people here, what have I taken from you? And the answer is nothing. His faithfulness is in contrast to his sons. It is in contrast to the king who will come. And the last thing that strikes me is that his faithfulness was throughout his lifetime. He says to them, I've walked before you from my youth, and now I am old and gray. This is a lifetime of faithfulness, which is a wonderful, wonderful thing. I hope that that can be true of me. I hope that that can be true of you, that throughout all the days of our life, until we are old and gray, we might walk faithfully before the Lord and hear from our Lord one day, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. 
It seems overwhelming, doesn't it? How, how can that be? That seems daunting. How is that possible in Samuel's life? How could that possibly be true in my life? And I would submit to you that it is only because of this next thing. It is because of the Lord's faithfulness. Because of the Lord's faithfulness to Samuel, Samuel was able to be faithful. Listen to these words beginning in chapter 12, verse 6, of the faithfulness of the Lord. And Samuel said to the people, The Lord is witness, who appointed Moses and Aaron, and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still, that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and for your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them, then your fathers cried out to the Lord, and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. They forgot the Lord their God, and he sold them into the hand of Sesera, commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. They cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and the Asheroth, and now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies that we may serve you. And the Lord sent Jeroboam and Barak, Jephthah and Samuel, and delivered you out of the hands of your enemies on every side, and you lived in safety. Look ahead with me in the chapter to verse 22. And hear these words, For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Hear that verse again. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Samuel talks here about the Lord's faithfulness, what he is walking them through here, this history under Moses and Aaron and under the judges, this recitation of their history, this would have been a creed that they were very familiar with. They could have likely recited this themselves. Their children could have recited a version of this. He is reminding them of things that they know and know very well about the faithfulness of the Lord, that the Lord was faithful to them through Moses and Aaron when they lived in an impossible situation enslaved under the mightiest nation on the face of the earth and under a king, a pharaoh, who had unquestioned power. The odds were overwhelming against them. There was no way out of the circumstances that they found themselves in. And yet God in his faithfulness to his people sent Moses and Aaron and he delivered them. He walks them through this period of the judges. This is very recent history for them. They are living in these days. Samuel is the last of the judges. And he says, don't you remember, can't you remember, over and over again, as we faced overwhelming odds, impossible situations, where there seemed to be no hope and no way out. Do you remember the faithfulness of God? There's a pattern in the history of Israel in these days of the judges that they fall into a time of sin. And then there is oppression. 
And then they repent and they seek the face of God. And he delivers them over and over again. There is sin and then there is oppression. And then the people repent and they seek the face of God and he delivers them. And listen, we, we, we wish our hearts cry out that it wasn't true that they, they would fall into sin over and over again. But we rejoice in the fact that when the oppression came, they repented and they looked to God. And God was faithful to them over and over again. Why? Why was God faithful to them over and over and over and over again? Is it because of their great performance? Because of their great resume? Because of how well they conducted themselves in the midst of all of these trials? Absolutely not. Verse 22 tells us why God is faithful to his people. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake. Because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Church, that is fundamentally good news. It is fundamentally good news. It is fundamentally good news that if we are in Christ this morning, if we are God's chosen people in Christ, he loves us because he has set his love on us. He chose us because he has purposed to choose us. And for the sake of his name, not because of our performance, not because of anything that we have done, but for the sake of his name, God will be faithful to his people. He was faithful to Israel over and over and over and over again. He has been faithful to us over and over and over and over again. And for the sake of his name, in this day, in this season of our history, and with whatever comes next, God will be faithful to his people. We see here in this passage Samuel's faithfulness, which was enabled by the Lord's faithfulness. And then in contrast, we see the unfaithfulness of the people. Look with me at verse 12. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Amorites, came against you, you said to me, no. Let's just pause there. We studied about Nahash just a couple of weeks ago. He's a bad guy, terrible guy. This is a terrible threat to national security, to their security as a people group. This is a terrible oppression that is coming down on them. There seems to be no hope. What in the world will we do? I told you just a minute ago about this pattern you see over and over again in the people through this period of the judges where there is sin and then there is oppression and then there is repentance and the people look to God and they cry out for help. And it is at that moment in this present crisis that the people fail because there is oppression. And then instead of crying out to God, the people say no. Look at verse 12 again. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, no, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. And now, behold the king whom you have chosen, for whom you have asked. Behold, the Lord has set a king over you. 
pattern is broken. They do not look to the Lord for help. They look to this human king for help. It is as if Samuel says to them here, don't you remember the creed? Don't you remember how God has been faithful to you over and over again through all of these circumstances when all seemed to be lost, when everything seemed to be hopeless, how you cried out to God and he delivered you? And yet in this moment, against this king, against this crisis, in this oppression, you say no. And you look to a human being, a flawed and sinful and ultimately powerless human being to save you. What happened to them here? They, they forgot the Lord. They forgot the Lord God Almighty. Years ago, there was a song on Christian radio, and the, the writer, the singer, talked about being in the presence of God, and, and he said, a, a silence fell like none I'd ever known. I stood among the millions. I stood there all alone. His face was like the sun. His eyes were like the sea. His voice was like a thunder rolling through eternity. And I saw the Lord. And he was high and lifted up. We might sing here today, Behold our God, seated on his throne. Nothing can compare. They forgot the Lord God Almighty seated on his throne. They did not look to him for help. Instead, they demanded a human king. What a terrible and catastrophic trade. My brothers and sisters, what about you today? As we face this unprecedented moment in world history, where is your confidence? To whom do you cry for help? Be thankful for government leaders and pray for them. Be thankful for whatever supplies you have stockpiled and whatever groceries you might have. Be thankful for whatever savings you have in the bank. Be thankful for all of those things. But they are ultimately powerless. There is only one who is not. Where will you put your trust in these days? Let's step away from the national stage for just a moment. And maybe aside from this virus and aside from everything that we are all going through together, there is some unique and overwhelming trial in your life, something that is oppressing you, something that threatens everything about your life. Where is your confidence? Where are you looking for your hope and your help? If you are looking to anyone other than the Lord God Almighty seated on his throne, you have made a catastrophic trade. It is idolatry. And you've repeated the error of the nation of Israel. There is none like our God. We dare not look to another. We have seen Samuel's faithfulness and the faithfulness of the Lord and the unfaithfulness of the people. I want to touch for just a moment on Samuel's ongoing role. We have talked about the fact that this era of the judges is ending. 
Samuel is the last of the judges. He will serve as judge in Israel no more, but his role in Israel is far from over and he will continue as they transform into a nation under a king to serve as the prophet of God in the nation of Israel. And that is demonstrated vividly in this chapter, beginning at verse 16, where he says to the people, now therefore stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not the wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain, and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord, and asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. Look at verse 19. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray, for your servants to the Lord your God, that we may not die, for we have added to all of our sins this evil, to ask for ourselves a king. And then scan down to verse 23. Samuel says, Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. And I will instruct you in the good and right way. Samuel has an ongoing role in the nation of Israel. He will no longer be judged, but he will continue to be the prophet of God. And as such, he will continue in the power of the Lord. As the Lord sends this miraculous sign, it was, it was out of season for it to rain, let alone for this dramatic intervention as Samuel prays to the Lord and the Lord responds with this storm. His ministry will continue to be one of great power. His ministry will be one of prayer. Isn't it interesting that in the midst of this crisis, their request of him is not, well, we've done this now. Help us set up the, the, the kingdom under a king. How should we organize ourselves? What should this look like? How should we move forward from here? Give us the logistics. It is none of that. They say, Samuel, please pray to the Lord for us. And Samuel says, I will not cease to pray for you. And his ministry as a prophet will be one of proclamation. In verse 23, he says, I will continue to proclaim to you the good and right way. His ministry will be one of power and of prayer and of proclamation. Brothers and sisters, we should pray that that is true in every one of us through these days and whatever days are to come, that our ministry in the lives of one another will be a ministry of power from the Holy Spirit, that it will be a ministry of prayer to the Lord on behalf of one another, and that it will be a ministry in which we proclaim the good and right way from the scriptures into one another's lives. Friends, not just on YouTube on Sunday mornings, but as the phone rings, and as we text one another, and as we have conversations along the way, praying for one another, proclaiming to one another the good and right way. I want to spend the rest of the time that we have together this morning in chapter 12, verses 20 through 25, where we see Samuel offer the people words of hope and a warning. For Samuel 12, verse 20. And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. Yet, do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. 
And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. I will instruct you in the good and right way. Only fear the Lord. Serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you will be swept away, both you and your king. There are great words of hope in these few verses. There is also one of the most solemn warnings, perhaps, in all of Scripture. Verse 25, but if you still do wickedly, you will be swept away, both you and your king. Samuel says to the people, lest you think you're just escaping this moment, and once this moment is passed, you can return to your idols and everything will be just fine. Let me say to you that you must follow the Lord, because if you do not, and if you continue in your idolatry, whatever king you install, wherever you have placed your hope, Whatever thing has taken the place in your life that is reserved only for God, both you and it, both you and that individual, both you and that thing, both you and your 401k, both you and your company, both you and your health care plan, both you and your stockpile, wherever your hope is placed, it will all be swept away. And God will remain. What are they to do from here? I want to return our attention in the few moments that we have left to 1 Samuel 12, verse 20. 1 Samuel 12, verse 20. And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. Yet, do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. Yet, do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all of your heart. What does Samuel say to the people in these verses? They must follow the Lord. They must turn from their idols. They must remember the greatness of the Lord. Or they will be swept away. There is at some, in some sense nothing revolutionary here. There is nothing surprising here. And yet it is of fundamental importance. They have sinned against God and praise God. They have come to see it as sin. And praise God they have repented of that sin. And it has been profound, the sin that they have committed. What in the world are we to do from here? The inclination might have been just to curl up and die. The inclination might have been just to give up because we have failed in such a spectacular fashion in our idolatry. Maybe we should just give up and throw in the towel. And Samuel would say to them, you have sinned against the, the Lord your God. You have called your sin what it is. You have repented of it. Now yet, from where you are, even as far away as you have wandered, here's what you must do. Follow the Lord. Turn from your idols and remember the greatness of the Lord. My brothers and sisters in Christ, if you are 
hearing my voice this morning and you find yourself in some pattern of sin in your life, maybe it's some place that no one else even knows about, maybe the sin in your life has brought devastating consequences, maybe it seems like all has lost, maybe you have come to a place, I pray that you have come to a place where you have called your sin, sin, that you have agreed with God about what it is and that you have repented of that. And then what should you do? Well, yet you must do these things. You must follow the Lord and turn from your idols and remember the greatness of the Lord. Because the good news is this. He will be faithful to His people. It may be that you are hearing my voice this morning and you are not a follower of Jesus Christ and it is beginning to dawn on you the weight of your sin. You're beginning to see the sin in your life for what it is, seeing it the way that God sees it. And you think, oh, woe is me. What in the world can I do from here? And the good news of the gospel is this, that your sin is horrendous and that it is terrible. But Jesus Christ paid the price for your sin. And yet, if you will come to him and confess your sins and proclaim him as Lord, he will forgive your sins. And from this day forward, you can follow the Lord and turn from your idols and remember and learn of the goodness and greatness of the Lord. This yet moment is of profound importance. Do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all of your heart. We have stood in this pulpit many times. We've stood in classrooms in this building many times, and we have said, whatever you're facing in your life, is as challenging as it may seem, the most profound problem that you face is your sin. And even in this moment in history where we face this profound threat, I don't want to minimize it at all, as we face this profound threat of this virus that threatens our health and well-being, threatens the health and well-being of people that we know and love, threatens the health and well-being of people all over the world, brothers and sisters, the most profound problem that we face is not this virus, it is our sin. Because our sin has eternal consequences. Our sin separates us from God. Our sin, praise God, has been dealt with in Jesus Christ. Run to Him if you never have. And if you know Him, but in your walk you have fallen into sin, call your sin what it is and repent. Follow the Lord. Turn from your idols and remember the goodness and greatness of our God. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you today for your word. I thank you that we have this record from 1 Samuel 12. I thank you for this reminder that you are faithful to your people for the sake of your name and that whatever else changes, this remains. Father, I pray that we would be faithful in these days in the power of your spirit, that we would minister to one another, Father, in the word and in prayer. Father, help us to be more and more like Christ in these days. And bless and keep us, Father, until we gather again. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.